Lord, we thank you for Yaku. We thank you for his life, God. We thank you that everything that he's going to speak about tonight, Lord, that he loves that. That it's not just phrases or nice things that he's saying, Lord, but that it's really the passion that burns in his heart. And I pray, God, that um, you will come and ignite that same passion in our hearts, Lord. And Holy Spirit, that you will just flow tonight in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Marielle. Um, there's, that was a really good introduction, Marielle. I just want to say there's no budget for bonuses, okay? So, um, <laughs> no, friends, it really is awesome. And I almost want to tagline, uh, tag with what Marielle said about prayer. So we finished now four weeks on preaching on prayer. Um, and now we're doing three weeks speaking about our mission as a church. Um, but I want to emphasize this. There's no way that we'll ever be able to accomplish the mission unless there's a foundation of prayer. And it's the same for your life as well, that there's a calling of God on your life. Um, yes, God adds us to family, and we're going to speak about that tonight a little bit. But there's a calling of God on your life. But you will not walk into it unless there's a foundation of prayer established in your life. And when we speak about a foundation of prayer, it's not when you pray before supper, um, or you start your day and you did your daily devotions, and then you quickly have a prayer moment. It's that whole thing that we went through the last four weeks. Lord, teach us to pray. And, and I want to just almost give you this encouragement. I don't, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved um, or how short you've been saved. If you would devote yourself to prayer, you will see God move. You will see God move in your life, in your family, on your campus, in your workplace, in the city, um, in this nation. Um, sometimes when you look at the news, so don't look at the news too much. But you can become very discouraged about what's happening in our nation. But when you spend time in prayer, you start to see with spiritual eyes. And there's a difference. Remember that there's an economy where God operates that is different to the South African rand. There's a peace where God operates that is different to the, the stability of this world. And, and God is busy working something for his kingdom's sake. And when we are people of prayer, we get to see what God sees, and we get to step into what God sees. So be a people of prayer, all right? So you'll see on the online platform, highfeld.online, there's a pray with us tab. Go on there. Come and pray with us. Some of those prayer meetings are 6 to 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, you have a coffee at half past 5, and then you're ready for prayer, all right? So enough about prayer. You guys excited now to pray more? Come on for these people in front. <laughs> Um, and then obviously Tessa there at the back. I love how Tessa's moments are like in line when there's something and she, I think it's Tessa. Is it Tessa? Uh, maybe. Anyway. So like I said, over the next three Sundays, we're going to be speaking about our mission as a church. And when I say church, it's not just us as every nation, Tuane, Highfeld. It's us global. So we are currently in more than 18 nations in the world. Thank you so much. Um, so we are currently in eight, um, over 18 nations in the world, but we're trusting that we'll have a disciple-making church in every nation, hence the name Every Nation, all right? That's why we didn't choose the name Some Nations or Most Nations, Every Nation. And the name Every Nation is not just a catchy name. It's a mandate from God that we are called to be in every nation. Then Every Nation Southern Africa, which we are part of, we have a dream for this continent, we have a dream that this continent will be a shining light to the world, that Africa will know Jesus, that Africa will not be 
this place where missionaries from the West come in and they exploit um, villages or towns or cities, but that Africa will know Jesus. And then for Tswane, we have a dream that we'll see Tswane transformed, that Tswane will be filled with God-honoring disciples. And then for this city, Centurion, this community, Highfeld, this campus, some of you are on this campus, some of you are at Open Window, some of you work in the city, some of you live in the city. We have a dream for the city that it will be changed. So when we speak about this mission, it's not just for us, as you guys sitting here tonight. It's much, much bigger than that. All right, so I hope you guys are a little bit stirred. Um, so the question is, why do we exist? And we'll go to the mission statement. And I want you guys to read this with me. We exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Okay, take a breather. So I want to um, linger on that first bit. We exist to honor God. We exist to honor God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have the privilege of being together today. I thank you that when we gather in your name, Lord, your word promises that you are there. And, and I thank you, Lord, that right now in this moment that you speak to people. I know, Lord, that there's people here tonight who desire to have a fresh encounter with you. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you will speak to people. I pray, Lord, there where people might feel hopeless or um, might have lost perspective. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will right now come and bring a fresh perspective. Not even necessarily because of the word we're preaching tonight, but because of your presence. And I pray that you'll come and minister to people. I pray, Lord, that as we speak about our mission as a church, that there will be something burst in our hearts to say, Lord, may we take hold of that what you've entrusted to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we exist to honor God. All right, so we live for the honor of God. We live for the glory of God. We live for the worship of God alone. And obviously, when we look at society, that is not always the case. All right? We don't always see God being glorified. We don't always see God being honored above everything else. We don't see God being worshipped alone. There's many other idols that people worship, and we ourselves sometimes fall in, into worshiping. And for myself, if you ever get to spend time with me over a cup of coffee, you'll know that I have a deep love for the church, um, to the extent that I'll fight for the, the sanctity of the church. Um, I was part of a church where my parents weren't no, were no longer part of um, because of some stuff that went through. But God gave me a deep love for the church to really fight for the cause of the church. And I know that a lot of people have been hurt by the church legitimately. I know that there are many things that sometimes happens in the church world that doesn't honor God. Um, but God has given me a heart for the church, and it's something that I'll fight for till my last breath. But it wasn't always that way. You see, I grew up in a very religious setting, like many of you, where you grew up with the traditional background and you went to church every Sunday and you went to Sondag school and you got your, your doop seal. I don't know what it is in English. Um, your baptisms um, stamp. <laughs> oh, no, it's not that. <laughs> um, but those who have it know what it is. Those who don't, you don't know. Um, but so you went through all of those traditions um, and in my mind, I was a Christian. So if you ever gave me a form I had to tick and you asked me, so what religion are you? I'm like, I'm, obviously I'm a Christian. And there was this space in my life 
where I was often confronted with the fact that my life isn't in line with what the Bible teaches. So I would go to church on a Sunday, and I would already have prepared myself for what I'm going to be accused of today. Like if the Dominic is going to speak about the Ten Commandments, I can tell him which ones I broke this past week. Um, so you almost step into church already feeling guilty, knowing that I have to do better. I have to do better. I have to be a better version of myself. I must do better. So you step out of church, and, the, and it was all that and nice and no, no, no. But then stepping out, I know I need, to, I need to do better. And then you step back into life, and specifically high school. I mean, primary school, I grew up in a, in a farming community in Douglas, deep in the Northern Cape. So everything happens later there. So the music you guys listen to, we'll get it in two years' time. Um, I, when I went back last time, there's a KFC now, so that's good. But you grow up quite, um, what's the word? Um, sheltered. Huh? Sheltered um, in a farming community. And then high school, I went to Kimberley, which is like a city, guys, all right? There was a cinema. <laughs> you have no idea how much we looked forward to Tuesday afternoons when you go and in your school uniform and you walk to the cinema and you pay half price for movie tickets. That was like a highlight of my week, all right? Um, so, but then you get exposed to a much bigger worldview than just your little farming community. And in that space, you get exposed to all of the other spheres of society and social life as well. And that challenged me a lot because I had the deep knowledge of what a Christian is supposed to do. But then I also had the deep conviction of what I didn't do. And I found myself consistently in this battle of knowing what the right thing is, but not being able to do it. But still, if you asked me if I'm a Christian, I would have said, yes, I am a Christian. But the reality is that my life was not honoring God. My life was not honoring God. So after high school, I went to England for two years. And coming to England, I started working with people who weren't Christians. So I started getting involved, like having Muslim friends that you travel on work to, work to on the train and you get exposed to people who believe differently. And in that mind space, like, this guy's a good person. He's more devoted to his religion than I am. Like, on his way to the train, I'd be reading my book or listening to my music on my iPod. He'd be reading his Quran. And you're like, man, I want to be more devoted to my religion like this guy is. But was there a deep conviction in my heart that what I believe is true compared to what he believes? Or was this just my religion? And there was a big reality in my life that if I was a Christian because I grew up in a Christian culture, but if I were to grow up in a Muslim culture, I most probably would have just been a Muslim because my conviction about who God was, was very shallow and it was very self-centered. So there was still this space where I had this idea of God and I remember after the first couple of months in England, um, I started working and then I started looking for a church again because work wasn't that great. So like, well, if I want God to do stuff for me, I should probably do stuff for Him as well. And then I started going to church again. But it was still that thing of, I need to do better. I need to be better. But my life wasn't changing. And if you were to spend time with me, there wasn't this sense of my life really honoring God. And I remember in a church service one Sunday, God spoke into my life and He said, Yaku, you do not know me. And it wasn't like audible, like someone else didn't hear it as well. It was like God speaking into my heart, but you do not know me. And that kick-started something in my life to say, but then I really want to know what it means to know God. You see, there's a scripture in, in the Bible that said that there's a way 
that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that's where my life was at. That's where God met me at a crossroads in my life because I was living with an idea of who God is and I was living for this God, but the reality is that God didn't exist because that God was comfortable with a lot of my compromises until God spoke into my life and said, Yaka, you do not know me. And then I started this journey of discovering who God is and, and this is where my deep appreciation for church comes in that I had people who were willing to come alongside me and to teach me who God is, to show me who God is. And I had to learn so many new things about who God is and what the gospel is all about and what Christianity is all about. That it's not just about going to church and not doing this and doing more of this. That there's such a deeper work that God comes and does in your life that it changes you forever. You cannot be the same. But in the same breath as I had to learn so many new things, I had to unlearn so many new things. You see, my default was that if I want God to love me, I need to be a good person. And I would still sometimes fall back into that. When I find that I've maybe missed it here or I didn't obey God there, then I would almost expect that this week's going to be a bit tougher. Maybe the morning of your exam, you didn't read your Bible and then you get to that first question, it's like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. If I had just read my Bible today, then God would have been with me now. As if God can be manipulated or bribed by our good works. And there was a deep unlearning that needed to happen in my life about what church is not, what the gospel is not, what Christianity is not. The boxes were still ticked, but I was addicted to people's approval. And that would lead me into binge drinking or swearing or going into multiple relationships at one, t- at one stage because I was so addicted to fitting in. Um, and the problem with the, the, the Christianity I was exposed to for such a long time in my life, it had zero ability to change any of that in my life. So you're stuck in this hopeless space with no way to get out, but all that I did have was the knowledge of what is right with zero ability to live it, so you walk away condemned. You even come to church, but you walk away feeling, I'm not good enough. I need to do better. But I'm so thankful for people who taught me what it is and what it is not. I'm so thankful for church where I get to experience what it means to know God, to walk with God, to live with God, and what it is to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple. And when we speak about this, the honor of God, Friends, there are millions of people out there whose lives are heading to death unless they get introduced to the one who's able to change it. And that's the role of the church, to restore the honor of God in the nations, in people like myself and people like you, that the honor of God will be restored so that my life will honor God, that my marriage will honor God, that our family will honor God, that the way I handle my finances will honor God, that the way that I um, handle my taxes will honor God. Not looking for ways to take shortcuts, to say, God, my life is this open canvas in front of you. And may all of this glorify you. May all of this bring honor to your name. And I want to challenge you with that. If you were to put that filter over your life, over every thought and every decision you're about to make, just ask the Holy Spirit this. Does this honor God? Does this honor God? Maybe for you, you students, and I think it's easy for me to preach to students now um, saying, guys, don't drink so much. It's not good for you. 
Um, but when I was your age, that's what we did. <laughs> um, but when you have that second beer and you're going for your third, God, does this honor you? You'll know. God, the way that I'm thinking about someone, the way that I'm speaking to someone who's not like me, maybe has a different skin color than I am. God, does this honor you? And we live in a world where there's a huge gray area. And as long as you operate in the gray, you're still okay. But you'll see quickly, the Holy Spirit has zero gray areas. And if you were to ask that question, God, does this honor you? You'll know. So the honor of God. We exist for the honor of God. So yeah, so in that space, God awakened something in my heart for the church. Um, and to really fight for the purpose of the church. And to also be someone who restores the purpose of the church. There was a, and, and something that happened in my heart was to be an unveiler of the truth of who God is to people. So that's one of the things that I'm passionate about is to sit with you and to say, okay, where do you struggle to know God? I want to help you break through those barriers, whether it's a lie that you've been taught or whether it's a disappointment you went through in your relationship with God, a prayer that wasn't answered. <laughs> that's what happens, guys. Sometimes God is silent. <laughs> When there's a prayer that's not answered or a disappointment that you've faced, or maybe you've been totally let down by spiritual leaders in your life, to sit with people and to be an unveiler of the truth of who God is, because God will not disappoint you. He might not always answer you the way you want Him to answer you. No is also an answer. So as a church, we exist that the honor of God will be restored. And, and I want you guys to know this. Maybe you're visiting tonight. That is the mission of this church. That is the mission of this church, to restore the honor of God in the nations. So how will we do this? All right, Sean, next one, and then play the video. Yes. <laughs> so we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. So the, the faded outbird speaks about the type of churches we plant, but we, we exist to honor God. How do we restore the honor of God? By establishing churches and campus ministries. In every nation. How many of you are thankful for campus ministry? Huh? Okay, Dylan, yes, we heard your testimony. So, I want to take you to just a couple of quick scriptures. Ephesians 3 verse 10. So, Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, and he speaks a lot about the mystery of the gospel. And he speaks about this concept of being in Christ. Now, go and do a study on the book of Ephesians, but this concept of your life being hidden in Christ, that there's a way that God looks at you through Christ, when you are in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be born again. So he expands on this gospel message of how God saves people and how he adds us to himself and how we become in Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, And God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Just pause on that for a bit. So there's a role that the church plays to proclaim the truths of God, the mysteries of the gospel, the, the, the manifold wisdom of God, the many-faceted wisdom of God, not just to people, but to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Guys, when the church operates as God has called it to do, even demons obey. Because God has entrusted authority to His church. That it's through the church that the world will know the gospel. 
It's through the church that the demonic forces at play in the world will come to understanding that Jesus died on the cross and He rose again and His power over sin and death is broken. If you find yourself in a place of being hopeless because of your past, the church has this role to declare over your life that the power of that hopelessness has been broken. If you find yourself stuck in sinful patterns, the church comes and proclaims the power of God and says that sinful pattern is broken because Jesus rose from the grave. When the enemy has a stronghold over a life or a city, the church walks in and says, no, your power has been broken because Jesus rose from the grave. There's a power that God has entrusted to the church. Matthew 16 verse 18, Jesus has this encounter with the disciples and he asked them, so who do the people say I am? As if Jesus really cared. He was getting to a deeper revelation. Like, who do the people out there say I am? And then they answered him. And then he said, okay, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And then Peter replied and I said, um, and he said, you are, you are Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. You are the Savior of the world. And then Jesus says to him, verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. That's a powerful statement. Whom of you, whose name here is Peter? No one. We need Peters in church. No, yours is Peter. Yeah, we're looking for a Peter. <laughs> he wasn't speaking about an individual or a name. He was saying to Peter, this revelation that you have that I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. On that revelation, I will build my church. And this church will be a conquering church. This church will be a prevailing church. This church will be an advancing church. This church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The forces of the enemy will not prevail against it. Friends, we live in, in dark times in the world. I don't know how many of you follow global media, but it's uncertain times globally. It's not just us. South Africa doesn't have a, um, what's that word? A what? A monopoly or a alienreich to um, chaos. Like globally, there's a lot of confusion in the world. But what a time for the church. What a time for the church. And Jesus makes this promise that amidst all the adversary, amidst, amidst all the uncertainties, amidst all the chaos, you guys will move forward. The church of God will advance and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But there's this important concept that Peter discovered. It's the revelation of Christ. It's the revelation of Christ. Unless you have a revelation of who Jesus is, there will be no transformation or impact on your life. Meaning your life will not change, but your life will not bring change in the world you live in. And that's what I experienced for such a long time in my own life. That I had this idea of what I wanted to be, but the whole time my life was being shaped and changed by society around me. Until there's a revelation of who Jesus is then your life starts to change. And then you start to bring change in society. So there's a revelation of God, right? To know God. So that when we know God, the honor and the glory of God can be restored. But this is the whole story of the Bible. Like if we reflect back in the Old Testament, um, Adam and Eve sinned, and there was this disconnect between man and God, and then God would send His prophets to tell them who God is. God would send the law so that people could know who God is. And then there's this beautiful passage in Colossians 1.15 that says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So 
after the prophets, God now sent His Son. God sent Himself to now become the visible image of an invisible God. So no longer did they need to go through prophets or priests. God Himself now showed up in their midst and say, this is who God is. So if you want to know who God is, go and look at Jesus. That's who God is. And then Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose again and then He was raised into the heavenly places. And now we, the church, the body of Christ, of whom He is the head, we now become the visible image of the invisible God. So that when the world looks at the church, they need to see, oh, so that is who God is. I guess that's a difficult task, eh? <laughs> Sometimes we can't even agree on what songs we want to sing. But that's our job. That the church will be the body of Christ that moves into the nations, revealing to people the manifold wisdom of God so that the nations may know who God is and then we'll see restoration. Last scripture, Ephesians 4 verse 16. Paul writes and he says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So how does the church function properly? It's in bold, just so that you guys have a little bit of an idea. When each part is working properly. When each part is working properly. And that's where, the hope of the, that's where the hope of the church is. You see, for you guys sitting here tonight and all of the other churches um, across Centurion and Twane and the world, for you guys that are in the church, there's a hope for you. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of how, how long back you've been in church, regardless of what your life looked like this morning, there's hope for you because Jesus rose from the grave and then God speaks into your life and says, I am the redeemer of your purpose. I am the redeemer of your identity. I created you. I spoke purpose and destiny over your life. And I am the one who will redeem it. And when you are part of your local church, the body of Christ, there is hope for you to walk in the fullness of what God has called you for. There is hope for your past to, be, to um, get the victory over your past. When we speak about the victory training and the things that people go through over such a weekend, there is victory over the things we've went through in our past, whether it's stuff that we've been um, the perpetrators of or where we've been the victims of it. But God can bring freedom and deliverance and victory over your life that you no longer need to be shaped by your past or by your circumstances, that there is a strength that God raises up inside of you and you will be His witness. That's the hope that you have. But then because of the church, there's hope for the world outside. There's hope for those who do not know Jesus because we get to carry the message. The church gets to be the vehicle by which God reveals the manifold wisdom of the kingdom of God, the gospel, to those who do not know. And the power of church, friends, does not lie here. The power of the church doesn't lie with those who held a mic. The power of the church is here. When each part is doing its Work properly. Paraphrasing. So as a church, what will we do? We will make disciples. We will be intentional in reaching those who do not know Jesus so that they can come to the knowledge of who God is so that their lives can be transformed. 
We will raise leaders. Tonight, Gebe was raised, leading for the first time. Come on. We will continue to raise leaders. And the kingdom loves to raise those whom the world would say is unlikely, whom the world would say is not good enough. We raise leaders so that you can step into the purposes and the calling of God over your life. Friends, when you are a born-again Christian, there is a leadership calling on your life. There is a purpose locked up inside of your life. And then we will plant churches and campus ministries. And we will focus on the places where it is not. So that the honor of God, the glory of God, the worship of God will be restored in every nation. So the question tonight is, are you with us? Because that is what we will do as a church. We will exist to the, for the honor of God. We will make disciples, prioritizing those who do not know Jesus. We will raise leaders. And sometimes those leaders will not always get it right. Many people had to take many risks with me. And I still don't always get it right. And we will plant more churches and campus ministries. Last week when Carol was here, she said, in five years' time, some of you won't be here. In five years' time, some of you will be leading church plants. Some of you will be part of church plant teams. You might not see it now. You might not see yourself there. Like, oh, no, no, you don't know me. I don't even speak in front of my husband. <laughs> when you start to step in the calling of God over your life, it's not you at work. It's the power of God. We will plant churches and campus ministries in every nation. Are you with us? If you are, here's what I want to ask of you. Be discipled. Step into a space where people can speak into your life. The biggest change in my life wasn't being part of a church that was very good on Sundays, that had excellent music and there was a smoke machine and all of those things. That wasn't the big change in my life. The biggest change in my life came when someone would sit with me one-on-one -on -one and speak truth into my life when it's uncomfortable so that there will be change. Because someone needs to speak into my life and identify my blind spots, the areas where I have not fully taken hold of the gospel yet and I still believe the lie. I still believe my old identity. And whenever I believe the old identity, all the destruction starts to manifest again. Sometimes you find yourself that, oh, I thought I had victory over this area in my life, and now all of a sudden I just fall back into it. Because there are old things we keep holding on to. But you are called to walk with people who will speak truth into your life. Be discipled. Secondly, will you be brave and tell people about Jesus? Will you be brave for the honor of God? It's the honor of God that's at stake. Will you be brave to tell people about Jesus? And maybe your first step is just to say, hey, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? <laughs> be brave, for the honor of God is at stake. Will you serve with us? And I'll, I'll elaborate on that a bit now. But will you serve with us? The power of the church lies here. And the power of the church is not a Sunday. But will you serve with us? And then will you come alongside the vision to see the honor of God restored in all nations. Um, and we come alongside it with our time, our talents, our resources to see the honor of God restored in every nation. So I'm going to ask you before I hand over to Corlea. I wanna, we're going to have a little bit of a reflection moment. All right. And then we're going to go into a practical uh, uh, volunteer time. But there's two questions on the screen, and I want you to turn to someone next to you. And maybe this is a bit uncomfortable, but this is okay. Be brave. How have you experienced hope in being part of the church? 
And how can we show hope to those who do not know Jesus? And I want you to be specific in your life. How have you experienced hope? And in your life, in your spheres of influence, how can you show hope to people who do not know Jesus? So I'm going to give you about five minutes to discuss those two things. All right. We're going to move over into an I serve moment. So this is something that as a church we so, so value. And, and this is something that I can really celebrate, that we have a massive serving culture in church where um, most of the things that happen on a Sunday, I don't even know what happens. Like people would come to me and like, hey, where is this? Like I, have, I really don't know. I'm not trying to be difficult. I really don't know. So the, um, luckily, Centurion Academy packs out the chairs, so that's great. The power team is very happy. But all of the other stuff, like the guys doing the visuals, the, the band, the sound people, the hospitality, none of them get paid to do what they do. We get to serve together for the mission of what God has called us for, that God will be honored, and that, that the, the glory of God will be taken into the nations. So um, tonight we're going to have an opportunity for you to say, if this is your church, if this is your spiritual family, we want to invite you to serve with us. We want to invite you to be part of the team that makes church work. And remember, church is more than a building, and it's more than a Sunday. All right, so um, when we serve, we model the same attitude that Jesus modeled by leaving his lofty place, stepping into this broken world, and serving us ultimately with his life. Through serving, you become more like Jesus, um, especially when things don't work that well or the rest of your team doesn't show up and you're the only person on power team. Um, your character gets shaped and you become more like Jesus. Through serving, we grow in relationships. You get to meet new people. You get to grow deeper in friendships. And then through serving, we accomplish the mission. And that's the goal. We exist to honor God. And by serving, we get to honor God together. All right, so give Corley a hand as she leads us into the next part.